jump into the word. Uh, in our, in our, we're coming close. Can you believe it? Two more weeks left in our series on spiritual conflict. But last week, we looked at how Satan wages war against the children of God. But this week, today, we want to fight back. Amen? How many of you want to know how we can fight back against our enemy? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, in his wisdom, wrote that there is a time for everything. That in every season under the sun, there is a, uh, there is a season for every activity under the heavens. And in verse 8, interestingly, uh, he says that there is a time for war and a time for peace. And as Christians, it is essential that we know when that time for war is and when that time is for peace, unless we get caught up in conflicts that are not ours to be in in the first place. You know, knowing what our fight is and what our fight isn't makes it possible for us here on earth to love and forgive our enemies. You know, to do good to those who do evil towards us, to bless those who curse us, just as Jesus taught us to do and also demonstrated for us on the cross. When he prayed for those who had just placed him on that cross, he prayed the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Jesus offered peace and forgiveness to his earthly enemies because his fight was not against a flesh and blood enemy, but a spiritual enemy. That he had come not to destroy those who did harm to him in the physical realm. He had come to do harm. He came to destroy those who came to do harm in the spiritual realm. Spiritual conflict is really the understanding how you and I, we can be a people who on earth live quiet and peaceful lives while at the exact same time live as mighty warriors in God's kingdom. To engage in spiritual conflict, we must become like mighty spiritual warriors. Mighty warriors in the spirit in the same way like David was a mighty warrior in the flesh. You know, in David in the Old Testament, before he ever became king, he had earned this reputation of being a mighty warrior. You know, the, the sort of the folklore that, was, that came about from David's victories was that Saul had slain his thousands while David had slain his tens of thousands. And the men that had joined David in these battles had earned the reputation of being known as David's mighty men. But of all the battles that David fought, the most well-known, of course, is the story of David and Goliath. The story of how one man, Goliath, you know, a giant who is thought to be about nine feet tall, would come out every morning as the Israelites and the Philistines were lined up to do battle. And he would taunt the Israelites. He would challenge them to send one soldier, one person, to come out and to fight him. If just one would come out, they could do battle. But not one did. And of course, as the story goes, every day he would come out and taunt them. And everyone was terrified. Everyone would run away and hide, except for David. That while everyone cowered and hid from Goliath's challenge, David, who just so happened to stumble upon the battlefield, bringing lunch to his brothers, saw what Goliath was doing, saw the challenge that he had offered the people of God, the army of, of the living God. And what did David want to do? He wanted to fight. 1 Samuel 17, 32 to 36 tells the story that says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, 
and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And I believe that as David stepped out in the flesh to do what no one else was willing to do, we must be a people who in the spirit step out from among the fray. To be a people who when no one else is willing to do so, to say, I will go. I will do it. I will fight because he who defies me actually doesn't just defy me. He defies the one, the very, the very living God. That yes, this giant is big, but my God is bigger. And so I will face my giants with a fearlessness and a confidence that comes from a God who arms me with his power and his truth to be a mighty warrior who knows that the fate of my enemy is already secured. You know, we sang that this morning, right? That I'm, I'm not backing down from every giant for why what? I know how this story ends. I know how this story ends. So how do we fight back then? How do we become like mighty spiritual warriors who are ready and willing to face our battles? Well, this morning I want to share four ways that we can face our giants as spiritual warriors. Number one, first and foremost, is through prayer, through praying. That the very first thing a spiritual warrior must do when facing their giants is to get on their knees and pray. Because let's be honest, how often do we, when we confront it with our giants, that the prayer, rather than being the very first thing that we do, that it ends up being the very last thing that we do? You know, as we've been navigating a lot of this, this increasing divide and conflict that has happened in our culture around various opinions and information, you know, you've probably noticed that we have been dealt with this overwhelming amount of information, that a lot of the conflict that is taking place is due to just so much information coming at us at such speed that every single day we're, we're just being inundated with information. And, you know, on top of that, you know, when it comes to things like vaccines and, and what we believe about COVID, is it, is, it, is it really, really bad or is it not just a big deal? And it seems like we're dividing in camps, you know, all this information and we're sort of forming our own opinions. And on top of that, we're told to do our own research. And, and something I felt the Lord convict me of recently is that in the midst of all this information, have I been seeking the Lord for his wisdom? You know, as I've looked for information on what is best for me and my health, I felt the Lord say, have you sought me in prayer about what my position is on this moment? You know, what is the wisdom that we, the church, can have in the midst of a time of so much information and, and misinformation? And 1 Timothy 2.1 really drives it home. Paul says, first of all, First of all, say first. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul says, first things first. First of all, I urge you to, before you do anything else, stop and pray. And that would make sense, right? That prayer, that we would see prayer as a primary weapon because of how, just how powerful prayer is against our enemies. You know, James 5.16 says it very simply that the prayers of a, a righteous person are effective. Or in other translations say, are powerful as it is working. 
Karl Barth, Barth, the great theologian, you know, he said that to clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. There is power in prayer, as Pastor Sam said, and not only that, there is power in your prayer. There is power in your prayer, that when you pray, there is power. But when it comes to facing our giants, there is a sort of prayer that must be offered up by mighty spiritual warriors, and that is called prayers of intercession. That often when we pray, you know, our prayers are, Lord, bless me, Lord, protect me, Lord, keep me good prayers, Lord, thank you, Lord, help. These sorts of prayers, God, we worship. But there is a sort of prayer that a mighty warrior will pray, and it is a prayer that stands in the gap. That when there's a gap that exists between a need, a circumstance, a moment, a person, and God, that you stand in the gap and you intercede on their behalf. You bring that need, you bring that person, you bring that situation to the Lord in prayer. And what God is looking for are those willing to face their giants on their knees, crying out to God, saying, God, would you bring justice to the fatherless? Would you hear the widow's cause? Would you correct oppression? And would you bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? You know, like it says in Isaiah 59, as, Isaiah, as the Lord said in Isaiah 59, 15 to 16, that the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. How many of you know that the Lord, nothing gets by him, right? Every injustice. You know, I know that we live in a time where we are being awakened to injustice. The the Lord is not awakened to injustice. It's not suddenly he's, oh, that's what's been going on? No, the Lord sees every injustice ever committed. He sees every sin. He sees every need. He sees every brokenness. He sees every single thing. Nothing get by him. And it says it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and, and he wondered, is there no one willing to intercede? Is there no one? That's his response to the injustice on this earth. You know, in this age of social justice where it's all about activism, get active, speak out. I know that all those things are important, but the Lord is saying, is there anyone willing to get on their knees and pray for these injustices? God wants to know, when things are right, will you pray? Will you intercede? You know, John Thompson, a pastor in in, in, in near Toronto, he says, every great move of God has intercessors at at its core, at the core. And I've seen that to be true in my own life, and I've seen that to be true in the church. The true mark of a mighty warrior is not that you pray, but that you, not that you pray once, but that you pray until something happens. You know, the only person who is attracted to desperation is God. The only one who finds desperation attractive is God. Not a desperation rooted in fear, but a desperation rooted in faith. You know, like in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman who had a daughter who was possessed by a demon and and just to understand this canaanite woman in the eyes of of the jews being both a canaanite and a woman would be equated with nothing more than scum a dog so to speak and the disciples understandably in knowing the culture didn't want her around jesus they they said jesus get rid of her jesus send her away just push this just send this woman off And for reasons we don't quite understand, of course, Jesus tests this woman's faith, reminding her of who she is as a Canaanite woman. But 
check this story out. Matthew 15, starting in verse 25. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You know, this woman, this Canaanite woman, was a mighty warrior who faced her giant with a great faith. And so let me say to you today, when it comes to being a mighty warrior, you don't need to be an expert on prayer. You don't need to be an experienced Christian. You don't have to be someone who has it all together in your life. All you need to do is have a faith that believes in only what God can do and a heart that is desperate enough to stick around and see what God is going to do. So the first way that we become mighty warriors in the Spirit is to pray. Second, and this one may surprise you, a mighty warrior faces their giants, secondly, by cultivating a spirit of generosity. Now, it might sound strange to you to hear say that how we face our giants, our spiritual giants, these cosmic powers is through giving of our finances. But it wasn't so strange to Jesus, nor was it in the, to the Bible as a whole. Did you know that money and possessions are the second most talk, uh, topic talked about in all of Scripture? That over 800 references in the Bible to money and possessions, but never once does Jesus condemn money or possessions. What he does condemn, however, is a love for money, for it is the love of money that can produce many strongholds in yours and my heart. Strongholds such as greed, like pride, like love of self. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Spiritual warriors know that it is impossible to face their giants with one hand on their wallet. You know, money has and always will be a great tool for advancing the kingdom. You know, it's, it's incredible to think that this year and a half that we have not been able to do, carry on so much ministry and, and do as much as we did before, yet the, the stewardship and the generosity of the church continued and continued. And, and through that, we saw God not just maintain but increase. And so we've been sowing that that's generosity that you have sown into the kingdom. You know, back into this facility, we've completely renovated our children's space up, uh, this summer. Like, it's brand new. It's, it's incredible because we, we so believe in the next generation and want to see the next generation of the families that come to this church be loved, be supported, and be discipled. You know, we can use money has a great, is a great tool for advancing the kingdom, but how many of you know that until Christ returns, money is also going to be used for great wickedness and evil? And unless we are surrendered in obedience to God in the area of our finances, the spirit of mammon will continue to tighten its grip on our hearts. But through the faithfulness of giving, through seeing our money, our possessions, not as owners, we don't own these things, but rather as stewards that God has given them to us and entrusted them to us as his servants, that he will want us to give an account, that all of us will one day stand before God and we will be judged according to what we did with what he has entrusted to us, that as we are faithful in our generosity, the grip of money over our heart becomes loosened. You know, the hand that once held tight becomes opened. Not only that, there is tremendous spiritual authority that comes through such obedience. 
You know, here at Life Center, we so strongly believe in the authority that God gives to one who is in surrender and obedience when it comes to their generosity, that when it comes to our pastoral staff, we don't just, uh, we don't just encourage our pastors on staff to tithe. It is expected of our pastors to tithe. That's how much we are invested in the spiritual authority. Because how am I going to speak with any authority on the topic of finances? On How am I even going to say that you can become a spiritual mighty warrior through your generosity if I'm not completely surrendered in my generosity? If you want to weaken your spiritual enemy, examine your finances. Look at how, you know, the role that money plays in your heart. Cultivate a heart of generosity. Number three, Third, a spiritual warrior doesn't face their giants alone, but is heavily invested in the unity that can only be found in the body of Christ. Your unity, not uniformity in thought, opinion, ideology, tradition, but unity, meaning a shared faith in Christ, despite opinion, despite ideology, despite tradition. That is one of the most powerful factors in coming against our giants in the spiritual realm. And, and hear me today, the enemy I see has so much invested right now, has invested so much time, attention, <laughs> resources into sowing discord and division and disunity in the culture and in the church. And I believe the reason for that is, as Psalm 130, 133 says, that where God's people, where the children of God dwell in unity, what does God do? He commands a, a what? A blessing. A blessing. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, what unity is in the body of Christ is our spiritual defense system. It alerts us. It awakens us when the enemy is attacking. And as the enemy comes against us, our unity, it sends out this shield of the power of God. And that the, that the enemy will try to overwhelm our defense system by trying to attack us from every angle, from every side. And right now, I believe that is certainly the case, which tells me there's a lot at stake for this moment. There's a lot at stake. That if the enemy is showing his hand by sowing so much discord and division, the more he attacks, the more it makes me believe that on the other side of this present moment is a blessing. That on the other side of this mountain that we face could be one of the greatest blessings on the church that we've ever seen in our lifetime. That's what I'm believing. Our defense system, it will hold strong in this moment as long as we establish our unity on Christ and Christ alone. And if our unity becomes built upon anything other than Christ, whether that's our ideology, our vaccination status, our opinions and our stances on, on COVID, we will not stand. And there's, in this moment, you know, culture wants to establish and label everyone according to their identity. Are you a left or are you a right? You know, just read the news. Every title, every headline has some sort of identity, group identity to label an individual. You're left, you're right, you're liberal, you're conservative, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're a pro-vaxxer, you're the unvaccinated, the vaccinated. The only label that you and I should be willing to accept for the world to place upon us is the one label that matters, and that is Christian. Christian. If they want to call us anything else, we say no in the name of Jesus. You want to label us? You can call us Christian. We'll take that. 
Because in Christ, there is neither this nor that. In Christ, there is neither left nor right. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, no woman, no man, nor vaccinated, nor unvaccinated. For we are all welcome to the Lord's table. Because we are all one in Christ. And we better get ready. I'm telling you right now. You said preach. I'm going to preach. Because if you think that the worst is behind us, I don't want to create any fear or any sort of like fear-mongering and things of that. I'm just saying we need to be ready. There's a test coming for the church, and they're going to test. Do you truly believe that you are one in Christ? It's, it's going to hurt. It's going to cost. But here's what gives me confidence, that this isn't God's first rodeo. You know, in the second century, when Christianity was spreading, and suspicion was growing of who these Christians were, and they began to persecute and attack the church. One early church father by the name Tertullian said this of the early church in the second century. He said this, It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? See how they love one another, they say, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. How they are ready to even die for one another, they say, for they themselves will sooner put to death. Well, what is said about the second century church be said about the 21st century church? I believe time will tell. But the good news is that we have the opportunity to write that history. That God is calling us to be known, whether that's the 31st century, the 62nd century, I don't know, that they look back upon 2020, 2021, and they say, see how much they loved one another? The world hated each other. The world labeled each other. But look at those Christians. See how they loved one another. Fourth, and finally, and and truthfully, finally, originally I had like eight ways, and I ran out of time. (laughs) So I'm going to save a little more for next week. But the fourth way that I think is one of the most overlooked part of being a mighty spiritual warrior is the word enduring. Enduring. Did you know that the Greeks had this race in their Olympics that was so unique that the winner of this race was not the one who ran the fastest, but it was the one who finished first with his torch still lit. That they had this race where the first one to the finish line with their torch still aflame was the winner. And I think that serves as a wonderful picture for our faith, doesn't it? That becoming a mighty spiritual warrior is not about being the fastest, the strongest, the most gifted, the most talented. It's the one who never forgets to keep the flame of God's love fully lit in their hearts. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10.36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. How many of you know that on the other side of, of all of this, that there is a reward promised to those who endure to the end? You know, the good news is that there's a promise or reward offered to us. There's no such promise or reward offered to Satan for his endurance. Matthew 24, 12 to 13 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Satan's greatest hope is that you and I, he may not be able to defeat us, but his greatest hope is that you and I might give up before we reach this prize. We know that this is a hard road. The way to to our Father is a narrow road, and very few walk it. And the sad truth is that some begin, but they give up. And many more will limp their way to the finish line. 
You know, David's life, his early life was marked by being a mighty spiritual warrior, but truthfully, in David's final years, this man struggled. That with all his desires and his intentions, he didn't finish well. And sadly, the truth is that we don't always finish well ourselves. But it is God's desire that you and I, we finish well. He wants us to finish well. That the flame of our love burns brighter at the finish line than it did at the starting line. The good news is that we can finish well. I want to just encourage all of our senior saints in the room, finish well. Finish well because there is nothing, I repeat, nothing that will make your giants fall than the one who can finish strong. Here's how we do it. And I've said four ways to become a mighty spiritual warrior, but truthfully, it's just four ways represented in one way. Here's how we do it. From the young to the old, Hebrews 12, 2, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Why keep our eyes on Jesus? Why is that the solution? Because for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How we endure in this Christian life, in our faith, in our walk, is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus endured the cross. And through his endurance, he was able to sit down at the right hand of God. And so the endurance of all suffering, all rejection of having our iniquities poured out upon him, produced in him a victory of eternal righteousness that he has now made possible for you and I in him. 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 12 says, If we've died with him, then we live with him. How many of you have died with him and have found your life in Christ? Anyone here today say, that's me, yeah? Okay, well, if you endure with him, you will also reign with him. You will reign with him. If we endure with Christ, we will be victorious in Christ. Because at the end of the day, when all things are boiled down, it is Jesus who is our mighty spiritual warrior. Zephaniah three seventeen says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. And that has found its fulfillment in only one person, and one person alone, Jesus Christ. We are mighty warriors when we are found in Christ and Christ alone. And how we face our giants is in the name of Jesus, who has already defeated our giants. We don't have to win every single time. Why? Because Christ has already won on our behalf. We just need to stand strong in the Lord and in his, what? Anyone know how that verse ends? In his mighty power. Would you stand to your feet? And let's just take a moment just to pray. And I just want to ask you right now to allow the Spirit of God to search your heart and ask, is it prayer? Is it generosity? Is it unity? Is it endurance? Is there anywhere that you feel tested right now that God has put a finger upon your heart and said, that's where I want you to grow? Or, you know, so let's just allow the Holy Spirit just to search us and know us. Because we're being tested in all these ways. But we know that our testing will produce in us such a wonderful, wonderful character of, of, of His Spirit. 
And so, God, we say thank you today for when tests come, when trials come. We consider it joy when we experience circumstances of all kinds, Lord, because we know that ultimately we are more than conquerors because you have won the victory. And that all this testing, it does not mark for us a loss, a defeat. It just produces a Christ-like character in us. God, we know that all things that happen to us are good and for your good, Lord. And Lord, forgive us, Lord, for looking at difficult times and saying that we don't want them, that there's no need of them. God, that's our culture speaking. Lord, we know that when difficult times come, Lord, you use these moments to refine us. We need to be refined, Lord. And I see it. I see it right now in the church. The church is being refined. The church is being remolded. That we are the clay and you are the potter. And I sense that in this day that we're living in, you are just remolding the church. It's the same substance. It's, it's all the same. You're just refocusing, remolding, reorienting us. And so, Lord, as we are nearing the end of the series, which we will conclude next week, Lord, we want to fight back. We want to be, as David was in the flesh, we want to be like that in the Spirit. Mighty warriors. We've talked much this summer about what the enemy does, Lord. But let that never, never, never take place, Lord, of the much that you have called us to be and to do in Christ. We are so much stronger than our enemy. We are so much stronger and Lord, forgive us for the times that we have believed the lie that we are nothing more than our circumstances. We are nothing more than our failures. Lord, today we, we, hear, we heed the call, Lord, to, to become spiritual warriors, Lord. And we, like David, will say, we'll go. We'll do it. Lord, the enemies, the, the giants that stand in our path, we'll go fight. And Lord, we'll do it, Lord, as, as we sing, Lord, on our knees in prayer. Lord, we'll do it, Lord, not letting the grip of mammon have any place in our hearts. Lord, by investing in the kingdom, God, just as you said in Malachi, bring the tithe to me, bring it to me, and see, put me to the test and see what I can do. God, we pray that enemies and strongholds will be broken, Lord, through our generosity. As we give freely, Lord, you rebuke the devourer. Lord, through our unity, God, protect us, Lord, in the days ahead. Strengthen us. Let us determine in our heart right now, Lord, that nothing's going to come against these brothers and sisters. God, we stand right now shoulder to shoulder, Lord, and that is the only way we're going to stand, shoulder to shoulder, together facing one direction. But we are not going to allow the enemy to divide us. We are not going to let Satan to, to destroy the work of God that is taking place. Strengthen our unity, I pray. Show us, Lord, how we can love one another. Lord, when honestly, at times, we might be tested. Lord, I believe that there might be people here today that have seen something posted on social media that they don't agree with, that they've seen something someone said about this moment, that they don't line up with that, God. Help us, Lord, in unity to simply offer a prayer of forgiveness, to release that, whatever that has over our hearts, just to release it in Jesus' name, to say, I'm not going to carry that. You know, God, we, we could be right and lose the heart. We don't want to lose the heart, Lord. Help us, even, even if it means we're wrong about everything in this moment, but we keep the heart, Lord, help us to keep the heart. And Lord, finally, we just pray for endurance. Lord, I pray to, I know, I just sense right now in my spirit, there are people who are feel like they're crawling, feel like they're struggling. It's slow, Lord. 
Give them an endurance. Strengthen them, Lord, to continue running the race. Know today that as they run the race, they don't run alone, God. You are with them, the mighty warrior who saves. That Jesus, because you endured the cross, Lord, we know that anything that stands in our way, we can endure through it. We can endure, Lord, because you endured the cross. And so, Jesus, we ultimately look to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, we keep our eyes fixed on you in this season because you are our mighty warrior. Help us to become like you, we pray. In your name. Amen. Amen.